When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Give up. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Friday, August 11th, 2023. And we're talking about giving up. You do not want to air your dirty laundry in public. No matter what's going on in your clubhouse, no matter how bad it is, and the San Diego Padres have it worse than just about any team. We don't even talk about the Mets anymore. They sold, they're done, no longer. At the end of the season, we can refer to them as the biggest disappointment ever. But now we get to focus on the Padres, my second favorite foil, as they decided not to give up the front office, not to sell, cost me a wait to see, For whatever reason, the team simply is not able to win. They are exactly the 2005 Marlins, built to win. The players say it's gonna happen. We're gonna start now, no problem, and then it never happens and you miss the playoffs. Now, in a National League wildcard situation where the National League teams, whether it's the Marlins or the Cubs, who are playing better as of late, but the Diamondbacks, the Reds, it's just losing upon losing upon losing. So the Padres can be under 500 and only four and a half games back of the final wildcard spot. But when the front office doesn't give up on you and the players still don't respond, you have a problem in your clubhouse. You've got turds in your clubhouse. So who is it in the Padres clubhouse? We did an entire segment whenever we did it. I don't even know how you can search individual segments of previous shows where we talked about, we've talked about Tatis, we've talked about Soto, we've talked about Machado, who is not a turd. Juan Soto gave a quote yesterday or two days ago that is the end of the Padres. I want to give it to you straight. We just give up instead of keep grinding, keep pushing. We've got to forget about yesterday and keep moving. We've got to play as a team. We've got to go out there and grind every day, grind every at bat. Some days we do, some days we don't. Days like this series, talking about the Dodgers, we just give up. You're the front office of the San Diego Padres and you see that to the extent that you don't know that's what's happening, which you should if you're a competent front office. If AJ Preller is surprised by this, that's his issue. But if you happen to read this and didn't know it, you get your tuchus down to the clubhouse, 
you sit with Bob Melvin and you say, do you want to bench anybody? Do we want to make an example of anybody? How do we light the fire under this team that wasn't lit by adding at the deadline or not selling? What is your plan, the GM would say to the manager, for getting more out of your players? What more can we do? It's way easier to have the conversation when your payroll is high, which the Padres is, when your GM and owner have given you the type of lineup that Bob Melvin has gotten. When you've got a low payroll but high expectations, you never see the front office of the Rays going down to Kevin Cash and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong. Buck Showalter, he gets spoken to. So in San Diego, when you've got a manager like Bob Melvin, who is universally revered within Major League Baseball, and I don't mean by media and fans, I'm talking about by executives. And you have given Bob Melvin, Manny Machado, and Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis, and how about Bogarts? How about the fact that Blake Snell has been one of their, the best pitchers in baseball for the last period of months? Is it possible that that sort of team is below 500? That's the problem with baseball. Is it a chemistry issue? Maybe. Can teams overcome chemistry? Yes, that's called the 2003 Marlins. Oh, great chemistry. We won games. Everyone loves each other. The most fun everyone's ever had. Guess what? It wasn't that way the entire season. It's not as though all the players loved each other by any stretch. By any stretch. I'm not talking about a Hanley type of not love. But there wasn't universal love. You don't need to have 25 at that time or 26 today like each other. But on the field, if there is a player who may be a leader, Juan Soto, but he's not. And he's saying that players are giving up and he's the one that doesn't have the long-term deal and the other players on the team, Tatis, Bogarts, Machado, they've got the long-term deal. Is he actually referring to lack of effort, lack of care? Is it possible the makeup of the team is such that they didn't have a chance from the get-go? I would like to present to you the possibility that the San Diego Padres, as constituted by Peter Seiler, the owner, and A.J. Preller, the general manager, did not have a chance to win given the makeup of that team. You cannot, in baseball, put together a team of all-stars, have a payroll of $300 million, and guarantee yourself a win. Steve Cohn has figured that out. Peter Seidler is not Steve Cohn. Once the player comes out and says that players have been giving up, you know it's too late because we're August 11th. There is nothing you can do about the makeup of your team. You're late to the party. You do that before the deadline. Do you know that you can get rid of players at the deadline but still not sell? 
that you can change them out if you realize that what you've put together is not a winning combination? Or do you delude yourself into thinking that they've not performed up to their capabilities, up to the back of their baseball cards? We're not gonna make changes because eventually there'll be regression to the mean. That's the delusional, magical thinking. That's the thinking that when you're overperforming after 29 games, you're gonna win 90 games. It doesn't work that way. But because baseball changed the rules and August 1st, which was the trade deadline this year, that is the deadline for all 40 man roster trades and movements. There's no longer an August 31st waiver trade deadline where if a player passed through waivers, he could be traded. This is your team. That is a rule change that has made the deadline both more exciting and less exciting to me. As a front office executive, I don't necessarily know my team August 1st, but I definitely know them August 31st. So the Padres are who the Padres are, which means the only changes are going to come after the season. Hear me now and believe me later, the Padres will not go to spring training next year with the same team that they went this year. Now, don't tell me on the live chat, nothing personal with David Sampson. Don't tell Coca, David, nobody returns the same team. That is true. There's always changes at the margins. No roster ever. And this is totally anecdotal, but here we go. Not even irresponsible with the platform. I do not believe in the history of my, the la let's just say since... 2000, there has not been one team. That's 30 times 20, this is the 24th season, 600 and 720. There has not been one of 720 where they have returned the same exact roster. But I'm gonna go deeper and tell you it's not on the margins where the changes have to be made with San Diego, it's at the core. Will Seidler have the guts to change the core Will he have the guts to change the GM? I promise you it's not gonna be Bob Melvin. Give up the Padres. Maybe it's motivation. You know what? It's a Friday. How about if I act all positive and not cynical and not tell you the way it really is and tell you the way you wish it were if you were a Padres fan. All right, here we go. In an alternate universe, in one minute, 60 seconds or fewer. What Juan Soto did by saying that the Padres players give up is one of the great ways to motivate players to change the way they are and to get a team winning. I am so happy that Juan Soto as the leader stood up and did it because now the Padres are gonna fly. They're gonna start winning games hand over fist and they're gonna catch the Dodgers. Way to go. How did that go? Good? Right now, the Padres have to play the Diamondbacks in Arizona. Good job. Then they have a 10-game homestand against the Orioles, Arizona, and Miami. This is their moment. If Juan Soto's gonna fly along with the Padres, now's the time. Speaking of flying, can we talk about Dave Cavill, the president of the A's? Alert, everybody. We're about to talk about the Oakland A's situation again. It's been a minute, 
but we have a unique opportunity to because Dave, as president of the team, has chosen to be super, super quiet. Extra quiet after the Nevada legislature gave money to get a baseball stadium or help a baseball stadium get built. They've been furiously negotiating all these contracts, trying to figure out who's gonna design the ballpark, how it's gonna look, how much land they have, nine acres, how they're gonna fit a roof building in nine acres, they can't. How to negotiate with Bally's to get more acreage, they may. How to convince baseball that by January 15th of 2024, they'll have a signed deal, so don't worry. Meanwhile, we're August 11th, September, October, November, December, January, five months plus 14 days. That's the date we've all been looking for and waiting for because if there's no signed agreement by that date and baseball does not extend it, which they would, even though they're telling you they won't and they told the A's they won't, by that day, you have to have a deal done or you lose your revenue sharing. How come no one's asked the question? Did they lose their revenue sharing from that day forward? or from three years later forward. They lose it from that day forward is the information that I have. The Oakland A's cannot lose their revenue sharing. Revenue sharing for the A's, for the Rays, for the Marlins, for the Guardians, it is the lifeblood. It is the largest source of revenue. You could say that the national revenue that is raised by Noah Garden and people in the commissioner's office that is then distributed by Rob Manford to all 30 teams equally, that that is a huge sense of uh, source of revenue. You can say your broadcast deal, that's a huge source of revenue. But for teams which receive revenue sharing, not on the margins. So there are a bunch of teams that in revenue sharing have to give a million dollars or get a million dollars. I'm talking about at the extreme. The extreme is A's, Rays, Marlins, Guardians. They're not getting 1 million or 5 million or 10 million or 20 million. They're getting more than that. So why is Dave choosing now to speak up? What happened? Well, you may have seen in the news, the biggest fire in the news is taking place in Maui. Again, my thoughts, do yourself a favor when you're talking about it, if you happen to know people, which is a 1% issue, I guess, but if you do know people who have a trip planned to Hawaii or to Maui, they should not have as their first thought, oh my God, what about my trip? Their first thought should be, what about all the people who have died in the fire or who lived and now have no homes, no cars, no nothing? But another fire that's taking place happens to be taking place in Alameda County, not inside the Coliseum, Dianu, but taking place on the grounds of Schnitzer Steel. Now, Schnitzer Steel, who are they? What about them? Who cares? Let me just give you a primer of 30 seconds. They're a neighbor at the Coliseum, a neighbor who's gotten involved in any sort of ballpark possibility that could have taken place at Howard Terminal. Did I say neighbor at the Coliseum? I meant a neighbor at the uh, at the port at the terminal at Howard. Gotten involved. Lawsuits have been filed by the A's against Schnitzer because the A's believed back when the A's were trying to stay in Oakland that they were trying to delay them. 
the Norman Brayman, if you know, you know, of Oakland. Yes, Norman Brayman did delay Marlins Park by a year. We could have had that open in 2011 and construction could have started in 2008, but we had a lawsuit that we had to win against that litigious man. I don't ever want to speak ill of someone else without giving you facts, but suffice it to say, there are people who enjoy filing lawsuits as a way to delay what you are doing in terms of development. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In Norman's case, lost the lawsuit, worked on the year delay. The A's effort to get a ballpark done in Oakland, according to President Dave Cavill, were delayed into the 2030s because of litigation. And that has been disputed by the politicians in Oakland. But what interested me more were his direct quotes when he spoke to a news organization. I think this appeared in the Mercury News. He said the city council passed a non-binding agreement in 2021 and they were never able to honor that commitment. On top of that, we had all these opponents with Schnitzer pushing everything out into the next decade. That's a good fact. It's not true, but it's a good fact. But then he decided to talk about revenue sharing. He explained that revenue sharing would be cut off if they don't have a deal in Oakland or another city by January 15th of 2024. And his exact quote was, the revenue share was an important financial contribution to fielding a product on the field. So yes, it was a material factor in terms of the deadline. He's getting crushed for that quote, but not by me. That is a correct statement that a team president should be making, though it is the quiet part out loud, but I would stand at the top of a rock to talk about revenue sharing and the impact that it had on our ability to field the team and the impact that it had on our ability to pay the other expenses needed to operate a team. What the media used to do was to tie revenue sharing to your payroll. How can you have a payroll that's less than revenue sharing? If you add up revenue sharing plus their broadcast deal, that's greater than the payroll. Therefore, the payroll should be higher. And that is horse hockey. That is not taking into account any other expense in running a team of which there are tens of millions of dollars of expenses. So I'm not upset with Dave for that comment. The A's without revenue sharing have a deficit, an operating deficit that can only be made up in the capital markets borrowing money. And you want to save all of your ability to borrow. The entire credit line is a way that people may understand. You don't want to buy extra things on your credit card when you need your credit line to pay your rent or to pay bills that are required to be paid to help your business. The A's need every dollar of available borrowing power to finance the contribution they are making to a new stadium wherever it's being built, whether it's Oakland or Vegas. 
You don't spend it on a two-year player. For crying out loud, for age 69, for crying out loud, that's why we traded Cabrera. We needed to pay down debt in order to borrow that money back to fund our portion of Marlins Park. So I'm not upset about that statement. But this one got me. He was doing fine. We're competing against the Giants. We need a ballpark that's comparable to Oracle Park. That's Pac Bell, the first Pac Bell. That's the beautiful, perfect Giants ballpark. You're competing for fans, so you need a ballpark that's commensurate. Raise your hand if you remember the San Francisco Giants playing at Candlestick. Raise your hand if you remember the Giants before they started selling out Pac Bell, before they became a revenue machine. Do you think that was all new stadium related? Is that the hypothesis? There is no new stadium in any city today that will give the type of bump that the Giants got going from Candlestick to what they call Oracle Park now. That was a confluence of two events. One, the new stadium cycle was way earlier. There were fewer teams with new stadia and every team which got a new stadium was getting a huge increase in revenue. By the time Marlins Park opened in 2012, it was the end of the new stadium cycle and we did not get the bump that we expected, that baseball expected, that projections expected. The new stadiums that open now, including when Tampa gets one, when Oakland gets one, they will not have the type of bump baked into the projections that existed 10, 15, 18 years ago. So for people in Oakland arguing, why would they build a stadium in Vegas? Worse demographics, smaller city, not as much money, which happens to be true as it relates to the city of Vegas, not talking about the high rollers in the casinos. A new stadium, when we were talking to baseball about it, we were still arguing that we are going to become revenue sharing neutral, if not even a payor. Projections now for a new stadium, including what Oakland is going to submit as part of its relocation package, will always have them as a revenue sharing recipient, even in Vegas. From day one, in a new stadium in Vegas, they will still receive revenue sharing. When you say that you need a new ballpark comparable to Oracle Park, are you saying by the water? The port seems to fit that bill. Are you saying in an area where you've got huge amounts of wealth? Well, now let's go back to when Oracle Park opened. And I told you it was part of not just the new stadium craze, but also they were in a part of our country where tech was financing everything. There was so much money in the San Francisco area. They had the rights to San Jose, a place where Lou Wolf, the former owner of Oakland wanted to move 
and there could never be a deal cut between the Giants and Major League Baseball to give San Jose as a market away. The Oakland market is able to easily support a Major League Baseball team. President Dave Cavill went through the fact that Oakland has lost the Raiders, it's lost the Warriors. That should be a factor. We thought it was a positive factor. Maybe it's a negative factor because everyone's expectations got raised too much. But when you're the only game in town, while you do have proximity to San Francisco, you should know that the way baseball works, and Rob Manfred knows this, team presidents know this, it would seem that Dave should know it too. There will be ups, there will be downs because you are not in a market, no matter what, that will have sustained sellouts every single year. Vegas won't be it, Oakland won't be it. But your ability to generate more revenue in a new ballpark versus what you are doing in the Coliseum is guaranteed, but not at the level that you're all thinking. In order to do it, They've got to find a way to tap into the corporate market. They've got to find a way to tap into the season ticket market, both in San Francisco and across the bridge toward Oakland in a way it used to be. It used to be the A's would draw, not the Giants. So two sport team markets exist. They exist in Chicago. You don't hear the White Sox talking about the Cubs that way. Yankees, Mets, you don't hear the Yankees talking about the Mets that way. Dodgers, Angels, you don't hear the Dodgers talking about the Angels that way. With the A's and Giants, there's no reason for either team to think they cannot exist with the other in existence. So my suggestion is the following to Dave. It's if you are gonna start talking publicly for the first time, you ought to repair some of the damage that Rob Manford did by some of the comments about Oakland and its fans, because it doesn't hurt you any. But you also need to be doing PR in Vegas if that's where you plan on moving and you think that move's gonna happen. You ought to be giving updates. I was able to give updates about process even when we didn't have done signed agreements that had been voted on. You can talk to the media through the media to your fans with steps that you're taking that don't mean putting up a billboard saying congratulations to the Golden Knights. When we come back, we're gonna review a movie about a craze. I cannot wait to talk about this movie. And we're gonna talk about what's going on this weekend in Miami and the fact that I'm here in New York. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. We are here live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this, you can watch it. And it doesn't even have to be live if it's early on the West Coast for you because we're on YouTube. The show is there after 8.45 a.m. Eastern. We also have a new website called davidsampsonpodcast.com. 
You can go on there. You can see every episode we've ever done. This is episode, what number are we, Coca? 865 of the normal show. Plus we have another 130 episodes. We've done special episodes and mailbags and sit downs. We're getting close to a monumental number, an important number, an exciting number. And we may even be very close like next week, Coca, with episode number 1000. That means that Matthew Coca and I have been in front of you almost a thousand times. Amazing. Thank you and keep enjoying our merch. And yes, I'm getting your emails. You can contact me through the davidsampsonpodcast.com website. And I think I figured out how to respond. Wait to see. I watched a movie last night with Zach Galifianakis, Elizabeth Banks, called The Beanie Bubble. It's so interesting. Sarah Snook is in the movie from Succession. This is a movie about three women and their role in the Beanie Baby craze. Beanie Babies were started in theory by a guy named, by a guy named Ty Warner. You don't know much about Ty. He's not involved in the movie, wouldn't cooperate with the movie. No one cooperated with the movie, which is why names are changed other than Ty's. Zach didn't get to speak to Ty, who's still alive. If you are old enough to remember the Beanie Baby craze, this was around the beginning of the internet, the beginning of eBay. This is when people were reselling their Beanie Babies at huge profits. This is when some Beanie Babies would be worth five, 10, 15, $20,000. This is when if you wanted a Royale with cheese, you'd have to step over people and riots because Beanie Babies, baby beanies were available at McDonald's. It was a thing. Total number of Beanie Babies that I own, zero, wasn't my thing. But for people, who were into it, it was an obsession. And I wanna take two minutes of our show today, if that's okay, Coca. And I wanna talk about my dad. My dad, Alan, passed away just a couple of years ago. He had various jobs. He started as a prosecutor, lawyer who was a prosecutor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. One of the things he did then had many different jobs and different entrepreneurial things. Some worked, some didn't work. He owned a toy store called Toy Country USA. Those were toy stores in Wisconsin. Part of owning a toy store is that you go to toy conventions. The biggest toy convention was in New York where the, uh, what's it called, where Columbus Circle is right now, where the shops are, where you go to all those upscale shops. I cannot remember what that is called anymore. But that used to be a building where there would be toy conventions where you'd go booth to booth. And this is in the movie, The Beanie Bubble. And I used to go as a kid and I would always get toys that my friends didn't have because they were not yet released. And that was the beginning as I trace 
my love of whatever I was doing when I was doing it, how proud I was of whatever job I was doing. When I was at Morgan Stanley, I wore Morgan Stanley stuff all the time. Marlins, Marlins stuff, Expos, Expos stuff. Nothing personal, nothing personal stuff. When I was at Cardozo, Wisconsin, Horace Mann, I was always happy where I was. No matter whether I was succeeding or failing, The feeling of being cool in grade school, it's hard to explain if you have don't have kids or you don't remember or you think you remember, but in actuality you don't. When you can feel cool as an awkward middle schooler, when you can go to school with a toy as an elementary school kid that no one else has, that feeling of cool, I've never forgotten. I have a World Series ring, but the coolest I've ever been is when I had as yet released toys with my father, Alan. The Beanie Bubble is not exactly true. It is very entertaining. I encourage you to read fact versus fiction once you see it. It will be distracting because you will think that Zach Galifianakis looks exactly like John Goodman, and that will make it weird. You will think that Sarah Snook, when in the script she says something to Zach and then says, yeah, exactly like Succession, you'll think that's weird. You'll look at Elizabeth Banks and think, God, I love Zach and Mirny make a porno. And then you'll think that you recall this time in history, but then you'll realize most of it wasn't true. But still watch the Beanie Bubble. I was all in. Okay, Coca, play me some music, please. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Hi, David. Hello. Love the show. Thank you. I'm fascinated with David Ross's role with the Cubs, and I'm surprised that he became a manager so quickly after retiring as a player. Winning helps, but is that what an owner expects from a recent player? How often do recent players become managers? How often does that work out? What are the pitfalls and the advantages? Well, thank you very much for this question. This one struck me, came from a davidsampsonpodcast.com. So thank you for also buying merch, but you should have mentioned that in the question Then I would have put it in yesterday's show. It is common for recent players to become managers. It's actually sort of hip. And the reason that it's hip is that there are owners and GMs who believe that one of the most important jobs that a manager has is to manage down. I always believe that managing down and managing up were 50-50. Managing down is how do you interact with the players? I've had young managers and old managers. Old managers are respected by players, even when players haven't heard of those old managers. Young managers are only respected by players if they were respected as players 
and they are player managers. My issue with hiring just retired players is that the only way they can manage is by being player managers. They can't be disciplinarians. They can't be front office moles. They've got to be always on the side of the players and the clubhouse. The reason why to me that doesn't work and that young managers become better as they become older because they learn they do have to manage the front office and they do have to deal with the front office. The reason why it doesn't work is very often the young managers say, wow, I didn't realize this went on. I didn't realize the front office was this involved. I didn't realize all the other crap that my manager had to do when I was playing. God, this stinks. I didn't realize that I had to do more than just show up to stretch and then meet the media if I were the player of the game or I pitched and then I get to go home or I just have to show up on the plane on time. Managers have all sorts of responsibilities on and off the field. The adjustment from player to manager is difficult, which is why the most successful of those who make that adjustment, and this is true in basketball and in baseball, are marginal players. Good enough to have played, good enough to have had good careers, but they weren't the superstars. They weren't the Hall of Famers. Are there exception? Are there Hall of Fame players who became managers who loved it and were good? Not many. So one of the things that I would like to mention about David Ross, an outstanding part of a championship team, doing very well with the Cubs, or is he? Is it Ricketts? Is it Hoyer? Was it Theo before he left? Was it the fact that COVID came? Was it the fact that Wrigley and its surrounding areas had just gotten a huge investment by Ricketts that caused Chicago's payroll to not go where it could have gone given all the revenue going to payroll instead of going to some of the ancillary investments that have been made, which long-term will help the Cubs, of course. All of those things are possible but none of those things impact David Ross's ability to be successful and whether he's on the hot seat or not. The thing about young managers who are former players and recently retired players is that owners disregard that transition period. And if there's lack of performance and it's a big time players manager, which they have to be, they then get rid of the young guy and go for the old one who deserves and gets respect. Does that sound familiar at all for any teams? It should. I appreciate that question. All right, Marlins Yankees this weekend. I keep looking at my phone during this show. It's 8.38 Eastern. We have seven minutes left until we go full lover boy. I'm going to go running right after this show, Coca. I got to get eight miles in. We are getting way closer to that 48-mile, 48-hour challenge but I keep looking at my phone. I'm waiting to hear from anybody in the Marlins organization. Hold on, I'm getting a call. Godot, hi, it's David. Yes, I'm totally available. Yes, I'll wait on the bench. No problem. <laughs> Click, nada, nothing. 
Not one call to come celebrate the 2003 World Series championship team. It's 20 years. And this weekend, the Yankees are in Miami. They're celebrating it. They gave away our championship ring from 03. They're doing more to recognize 03 than ever happened under Jeter because we beat Jeter. Love that. Still think about it every day. If you're in Miami, go enjoy. Go to a game and celebrate. Enjoy the fact that the Marlins are in a playoff position now and enjoy the fact that no matter how old you are, you have that as part of your fabric. You've got 97, you've got 03. But what about the difference between the Yankees and the Marlins that year? The Marlins should have been favored. They were the better team for sure. Better record since middle of May than anybody in baseball. Certainly better than the Yankees. All the Yankees had was a bigger payroll. We had better pitching. We had better hitting. Better depth in the lineup. All of it. Better bullpen. All of it. Since 2003, the Yankees got a new stadium done. The Marlins got a new stadium done. The Yankees won a World Series in 09. The Marlins have not. So the Yankees and Marlins are tied since 2003 with one World Series each. They're tied with one new ballpark each. They are not tied in general managers because the Marlins have had since 03, Beinfest, Hill, Jennings, and now Kim Ang. That's four to one. Managers. Can't even count the number of managers the Marlins have had. Not sure I can count the managers the Yankees have had, but I'd say Yankees have had fewer. The biggest difference is in revenue and payroll. The Yankees are able to generate through their broadcast deal a number that was a multiple of at least 5x to what the Marlins were drawing from broadcast revenue. They were also able to have gate revenue at 4x of what the Marlins were ever able to do, whether it was pro player or Marlins Park. Corporate revenue, not comparable. But the Marlins got revenue sharing and the Yankees paid revenue sharing. What the Yankees have been able to do is have way more success, way more playoff appearances. But is there really that big a difference? Our argument always used to be there was because we always wanted more revenue so we could have higher payroll. And we would always explain our losing by saying our payroll isn't high enough. Therefore, that's why we're not able to make the playoffs. Ignore what the Rays do. Ignore what's going on this year with the Orioles. Ignore what the A's were able to do. Not this year, they're rebuilding, retooling. But the A's and their playoff runs have been epic. The biggest difference between the Marlins and the Yankees is the difference between New York and Miami. Miami believes that they can be New York. They wanna put themselves out as being Southern New York. But the revenue that goes along with being New York will never be matched by the revenue that goes along with being Miami. Congratulations to the Marlins, 20 years. I think I'm gonna wear my ring all weekend. I, I can't wear it while I run, but I think I'm gonna wear the ring. And then I'm gonna watch the games, of course, and I'm gonna watch Josh Beckett come back and Derek Lee and Mike Lowell and Conine and all of the people from our 03 team. 
and I'm gonna call up Larry and Mike, also not invited, and I'm gonna say, hey, why don't we have our own party? Maybe we will. Nothing personal pick of the day. Coca told you there was no value and I continue to tell Coca, if you lose the bet, there's really no value. Yes, we had a risk 258 to win 100, but we did. The Phillies beat the Nats. Again, Corbin had a good start. I didn't think he would. Nola had a good start, thought he would. But Philly won. We're back to over 500, 110 and 109. I have two games for you this weekend, two series that I want you to watch. Let's start with the Blue Jays and the Cubs. The aforementioned Cubs. We spend plenty of time talking about the Blue Jays. Berrios is pitching Friday, and we are taking the Blue Jays over the Cubs in game one of that series. But the Saturday game is the series that you'll watch, hopefully, Yankees-Marlins. Nasty Nestor is an underdog to Sandy Alcantara. I'm taking the Yankees. The Yankees have proven that they are not good. They have proven they have a hard time winning games, period. Sandy has been pitching better two of his last three starts. But there's something about when the Yankees come to Miami. My experience when the Yankees were in Miami, it was a struggle. It's hard for the home players, unless they're veterans, and there's some veterans on the current Marlins, but it's a young, interesting team, fun team to watch. It's very disheartening when you're in a playoff run and you are listening to 30,000 people, and I hope that'll be the crowds all weekend, root for the visiting team. In Miami, that's common. Saturday, we're gonna take the Yankees as minus 102 dogs over the Marlins. When they're celebrating the 03 World Series and they bring out the trophy, they bring out the players, I hope that you can forget about whatever feelings you may have toward ownership from Wayne Huizenga to John Henry to Jeffrey Loria to team presidents, including me. And I hope that you can grab the hand of your child or your spouse or your partner or your friends or your employer or employees and look out on the field and enjoy the magic that can only be gotten through championships and through your affinity and emotional connection to your sports team. It causes heartache, but the pleasure that you get when it works makes it all worthwhile. Then look up in the owner's suite. Watch them either applaud or not applaud, but I can tell you what they are saying under their breath while you're all celebrating the 20 year anniversary of the Marlins World Series Championship. Sit down. It's just business. Sorry about the invite, Samson. It's nothing personal. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.